way, if you have a copy of God's Word, let's turn today to Galatians chapter 5. We've kind of alluded to it, but today we're going to plant ourselves in it because the last thing we're going to deal with today really comes right out of this passage. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, G-E-P-C stands for what? General Electric Power Company, okay? So you're in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, and now let's read verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, and I hope y'all been working on that, okay? Because both services, it's kind of like a plane. I've noticed it. it. It starts down the runway real fast, but somehow the engines die before it takes off. So let's see if we can't get this right this time, okay? Take it off the screen. All right, take a deep breath. Let's get this right. Ready? Say it together. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Self-control, good. Give yourself a hand. Hey, y'all really, really, really did good. Now, here's what we've been telling our our folks. When, When a follower, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, The Bible says that that God literally comes to live inside of that person in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the person of the Holy Spirit comes in for the express purpose of living a godly life through that person. Now, the way that the life of God is manifested through my life and through your life is bearing fruit. And one of the marks that you are really in step with God, one of the marks that you're really following God with all of your heart, one of the marks that you're really in tune with God is the way you relate to other people and the way you, re- you respond to circumstances that come into your life. So just like fruit, we've said, is both good for you and good to you, it tastes good, it's sweet, but it's also nutritious, God wants us to live our lives in such a way that our lives are tasty. He, he wants us to bear such character qualities that people will be attracted to us, that they'll want to have a relationship with us. People will look at us and they'll say, you, you've got something I don't have. I, I don't know how you're able to have peace in the middle of these difficult circumstances. I don't know how you can have joy when your work's not going so well. I don't know how you can be so loving to unloving people. And, and I want what you've got. And, and, and so well, God wants us to be so in tune with him that they'll want to be around us, that people want to be like us, and they'll want to know the God that lives within us. And that's what this series has been all about. Now, the last part of the fruit is what Paul calls self-control. And let's, be, let's just get right to the point. If there's any fruit on this list where all of us are sometimes lacking, even the most bliss discipline of us, it would be this fruit. Matter of fact, let me just, just ask yourself the following questions. Have you at any time in your life ever eaten too much? Okay. Hey, have you ever eaten so much that you got sick to your stomach? You ever done that? Isn't that a terrible feeling? Here's another one. Have you ever stuck your nose in a matter that didn't concern you? You say, yeah, you're doing that right now. All right. Have you ever meddled in someone else's business? Here's here's one. Are you ready for this? If you're married, you're going to answer this one, yes. If you're a husband, I know you're going to say yes to this one. Have you ever said something when you should have said nothing? How many of you husbands could say that? Hey, guys, let me tell you the greatest marital advice I'll ever give you. You never have to apologize for something you don't say. Here's another one. Have you ever made an impulse buy? Here's one. Have you ever procrastinated and put something off until tomorrow that you know you should have done today? All right, you ready for this one? 
How many of you wish you had never laid eyes on a credit card? Now, if you answered any of those questions at one time or another, here's what you basically said to me. At one time or another, you've had a problem with a lack of self-control. You let yourself get the better of you. Now, I don't want you to beat yourself up too badly over this. I don't want you to, I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip because the greatest Christian who ever lived, not counting, of course, Jesus Christ, was a man by the name of Paul. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you, you know, you would think that Paul had it all together. You, you know, at the height of his career, you're talking about the guy that you would think, man, now this guy, he really is one fruit-bearing guy. Because at the height of his career, he was at the same time now the greatest preacher in the world, the greatest theologian in the world, the greatest evangelist in the world, the greatest missionary in the world, the greatest church planter in the world, he was Rick Warren and Billy Graham rolled into one person. I mean, he, he, you think, well, he had it all together, and yet in one of the most candid passages you'll find ever in the entire Bible, listen to what this man said about himself in Romans chapter 7. He said, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I do, but what I hate, I do. If you have a weight control problem, you can relate to that. If you've got an anger problem, you can relate to that. If you've got a worry problem, you can relate to that. Paul said, I don't understand what I do because what I, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate, I do. And, and that's, a, that's amazing. Paul is admitting, i got a problem with self-control. There are times in my life I don't control me. I let me control me. And we're living in a culture that is, in my opinion, increasingly out of control. I mean, I don't know about you, but it seems like we are increasingly rewarding evil and condemning good. You think about it. Road rage. Frivolous lawsuits. Teenage pregnancies. Disintegrating families. It seems like we're increasingly out of control. And, and, and to be honest with you, you won't even be motivated to practice self-control unless you understand the consequences of being out of control. Listen to what the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said in Proverbs 25. He said, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Now, you could paraphrase that verse this way. When we fail to control our desires, when we allow self to control us instead of controlling self, we will be like a bank vault with a screen door. Get that picture in your mind, a bank vault with a screen door. Now, the reason why Solomon wrote that, and you may, you may know this, you may not, but in Solomon's day, every city was fortified by thick stone walls. And cities were usually built on hills with fortifications that followed the natural contour of the land. And the only real source of defense that the city had were the walls. So when the walls came down, the city was absolutely defenseless. And what, what, what Solomon was saying here was this. If you don't have built around your feelings, and if you don't have built around your mind, and if you don't have built around your emotions, and if you don't have built around your heart a wall of self-control, it doesn't matter whether you're an individual or a family or a city or a state or even a nation, you will be totally defenseless. You will be easy prey for the enemy. I mean, you think about it. Whether it's playing a musical instrument or, or it's mastering a computer program or it's learning a foreign language, any worthwhile endeavor demands self-control. That may be why Aristotle said, listen to what he said. He said, self-control is the hardest victory you'll ever win. It's true. Self-control is the hardest victory you'll ever win. Listen, it's just this simple. If you control self, you win. 
is self controls you, you lose. It's that simple. If you control self, you win. If self controls you, you lose. Now, the truth is self-control is not something you can do by yourself. I want to tell you that right now. You, and you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what? You've already convicted me, Pastor. And I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to do a better job of controlling myself. That'll last about five minutes. It'll last till about the next, you know, banana cream, banana you know, cream split. It'll last till the next vanilla milkshake. I'm just telling you. It'll last until the next jar of M&M peanuts. And then, man, you're, you know, you're toast. It's not something you can do on your own. It is only something that God can do through you. And this is what I want you to take out the door this morning when you walk out the door. Listen, if God is in control of you, then you can control you. That's the key. You can't control you without God. It won't work. You, listen, self will beat you every time if you go against self by yourself. I don't know if I can say that again or not. Self will beat you every time if you go against yourself by yourself. If God's in control of you, then you can control you. That's why I want you to look yourself in the mirror, that imaginary mirror right now, and ask yourself honestly. I look at my calendar. I look at my checkbook. I look at every aspect of my life. Who is in control? Now, there's only two answers to that question, only two, you or God. So who is, honestly now, who who is in control of your finances? Who is in control of your attitudes? Who is in control of your thought life? Who is in control of your emotions? You or God? So now what I want to do is answer the question, how do you get you under control? How do you do that? And and since we're talking about self-control, let's use, I'm going to use the word self to refer to you, to, to refer to your desires. By the way, the biblical term is what the Bible calls the flesh. If you ever read your Bible talks about, when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's not actually talking about your skin. It's talking about the self. It's talking about you. And the question is, how do you get self under control? Well, if Paul does us a favor, he takes this last fruit in Galatians 5 And in the verses before and the verses after, he gives us the bookends on how to get self-control. So let me show you what Paul says in this passage. Paul says the first thing you've got to do if you want to exercise self-control is this. You've got to confront yourself. And you, you got to, I mean, listen, you got to get face to face. You got to get in the face of yourself. You've got to confront yourself because the first thing you've got to understand is, is this battle that goes on in yourself and the desires that you have that are contrary to what God desires. You've got to understand this goes all the way back to the garden of Eden. This is not a new problem. This is not a new difficulty. That, that's why every one of us has this battle. I mean, it, it amazes me how even people who come to church don't understand the world is in a mess. Would you agree with that? Everybody agree with that? Everybody has, does everybody think the world's hitting on all eight cylinders right now? Okay, everybody's with me? I mean, look, Charlie Sheen, that, that, that's all I got to tell you. The world's, the world's in a mess, right? Well, if you agree with that, let me ask you a question. Why is the world in such a mess? And it's amazing to me how people don't know that the reason why this world is in a mess is because of a couple named Adam and Eve. goes all the way back to a couple who did not exercise self-control. Do, listen, do you understand if Adam and Eve had just left one tree alone, we all would have lived happily ever after? Do you understand that? One tree. If they just left one tree alone, God creates a perfect environment, puts Adam and Eve in it, and basically said, you see all this right here? Yes, Lord, it's all yours. 
You can have anything you want. Everything and everything belongs to you. It's yours. It's free of charge. But see that tree right there? Don't touch that tree. Don't touch that tree. And just like your kids and my kids, what's the first thing they do? They don't even, they don't even get, you don't even get out of two chapters. What's the first, first thing? They're going to touch that tree. No self-control. Absolutely none. And the one thing that God said you can't take is the first thing that they took. And from that moment on, everybody has been born with the same problem that causes self-control to be such a battle. Now, Paul tells us in one word what that problem is. I told you it's that five-letter word called flesh. Now, in the NIV, it's called sinful nature, but literally translated, it's flesh. Look what he says now back up in verse 17. He said, the acts of the sinful nature, that's flesh, that's the self. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. Now it's going to read like a, like a newspaper. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. I'm sorry, back uh, missed it. All right, for the sinful nature desires, verse, I was reading verse 19, verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, that's the sinful nature of the flesh, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. And what Paul was saying there was, by the sinful nature, that just simply means the selfish desire we were all born with from the time you and I were born and came out of our mother's womb. How, what, you, you mean, you tell me, did you ever get jealous because the other baby had the toy? Did you ever, you know, did you ever have 14 cars, but that wasn't good enough? You wanted his car? You had 13 dolls, but you wanted her doll? We were all born that way. Have our way, get what we want, satisfy our needs, put ourselves first. It's what sociologists call the animal instinct. If you want to be a little crude about it, it's the desire to call our own shots, to do our own thing, to look out for number one. And even, listen, even after you become a follower of Jesus Christ, here's the problem. This nature is still in you. That desire is still in you. You still have that desire to do the one thing that God says don't do. You still have that desire to take the one thing that God says don't take. You still have that desire to go to that one place where God says don't go. And you see the results of a, of a society out of control. And you see the results of a culture who, where self is in control. Now we'll read down verse 19. I got ahead of myself. The acts of the sinful nature, that's the flesh, are obvious. Sexual immorality impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, don't take my word for it. I mean, let, let's just take a few of those and you judge for yourself. W would you say that we've got more than enough sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery in our culture today? Would you say we've got a lot of that? Would you, I mean, do you think idolatry is a problem? You know why people, you know why people run up all these charges on their credit cards? It's, it, you know, they say it's a financial problem. It's worse than it's idolatry. They make things their God. They make possessions their God. They all their self-esteem is wrapped up what they have. So they borrow money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. It's all about idolatry. How about fits of rage, selfish ambition, factions? You know, what, what are we told the problem in Washington is today? There's not enough bipartisanship. There's too many factions. How about drunkenness? How about orgies? And, and, and all I'm saying at this point is 
You will never, ever, listen, you will never, ever control yourself until you're willing to confront yourself and admit self is a problem. If you don't think you got a problem with self-control, you just told me you got a big problem with self-control because self is a problem. Until you recognize every day I have met the enemy and the enemy is me. I have met my problem and my problem is me. Until you recognize that every day, that self is literally something that must be brought under control on a daily basis, then here's what will happen. You will not control self. Self will control you. But now, let's say you're willing to confront yourself. You say, okay, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to admit, even though I may have other people fooled, even though other people think, oh, I'm real disciplined. I, I, I'm not a selfish person. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big giver and never a taker. I don't ever want my own agenda. I mean, I, I, you know, once you are willing to confront yourself, once you're willing to stand up to yourself, once you are willing to recognize self, you are a problem. And I've got to deal with my problem. And my problem is me. Then you can take the second step. And the second step is you've got to crucify yourself. Now, this is why I love the Bible so much because you'd never hear a psychologist tell you to do this. You, you'd never hear a counselor tell you to do this. You would never, tell, you would never have any secular sociologist say, I'll tell you what we need to do in our culture. We need to crucify ourselves. But look what he says in verse 24. He says, he said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, remember sinful desire, nature, that means flesh, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desire. Now, you're talking about a fresh look at self. Paul says, I'll tell you how to get a handle on self. I'll tell you how to become a person of incredible self-control. Get a hammer, get some nails, get a big plank, and nail yourself to a cross. Because let, let me tell you how powerful your self is. Let me tell you how powerful your flesh is. Let me tell you how powerful your sinful nature is. The only way you'll ever get it under control is to kill it. That's how powerful it is. You literally have to kill it. You literally have to die to it, and it has to die to you, and it can only die by crucifixion. Now, I want to warn all of you of something that you probably already know. It is not easy to kill yourself, and self dies real hard. I mean, it dies real hard. Someone put it this way. Listen to this. The last enemy destroyed in the believer is self. It dies hard. It will make any concessions if allowed to live. Self will permit the believer to do anything, give anything, sacrifice anything, suffer anything, be anything, go anywhere, take any, any liberties, bear any crosses, afflict soul and body to any degree, anything if only it can live. Let's put it back on the screen. They were late. Put it back up there at the beginning. I want, I want them to read this. Can you guys get it back up there? If you can't, just tell me. See if we can get it up there. Because this is so important, I want them to get it. If they can't, I'm going I'm to read it again. I'm going to read it real slow. The last enemy destroyed in the believer is self. It dies hard. It will make any concessions if allowed to live. Self will permit the believer to do anything, give anything, sacrifice anything, suffer anything, be anything, go anywhere, take any liberties, bear any crosses, afflict soul and body to any degree, 
anything if only it can live. See, it goes against your very nature to kill the one thing that you enjoy the most. You know what we enjoy more than anything else? Let's just be honest. Pleasing ourselves. That's why it's hard to lose weight. That's why it's hard not to always want to get your way. That's why it's so hard not to always make sure that the other person gives in. Because nothing brings us more pleasure than when we bring ourselves pleasure. And I really believe that the real key to all this is found in an earlier verse in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, let me me paint this picture for you. I'm going to make this real practical. I want you to imagine that in your heart, there are two pieces of furniture. There is a throne and there is a cross. Now, this is the reality for all of us right now where we live. Right now, where, where you're sitting, this is reality. You ready? Either Christ is on the throne of your heart and you are on the cross or you are on the throne of your heart and Christ is on the cross. That's true of everybody in this room. Either Christ is on the throne of your heart, he's in charge, and you're dead, you've crucified yourself, or you put Christ back on the cross, and you put self back on the throne. So in other words, either you are dead to you, or you are dead to him. And I've got news for you. Self will always want the front row in the funeral. It will never want to be the corpse in the casket. It dies hard. It does not go easy. You know, many times when I'm counseling a couple that's going to get married, I tell them, now, let me tell you the first thing that needs to take place, and, and, and it's hard for them to understand this. Let me tell you the first thing that needs to take place immediately after you get married, immediately after the wedding. And they'll say, what's that? I'll say, you need two funerals. What? Yep. I mean, as soon as the wedding is over, you need two funerals. And, 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 and they'll look at me kind of puzzled. And then I'll look at the man. I always look at the man first because he's a spiritual leader. And I'll look at the man first and I'll say, all right, you need to die to you. And then I'll look at the wife and i say, okay, you need to die to you. Because the only way you will ever put her before you, you got to die. And the only way that you'll ever put him before you, you've got to die. And until you die, and until you die, you will never, ever put each other where you ought to be. So the second thing Paul says you've got to do, if you really want to get yourself under control, you've got to confront yourself, admit you've got a problem, admit it's there. Number two, you've got to crucify yourself. And then here's the last thing, then you control yourself. Then you control yourself. Now watch this. The Greek word for self-control comes from a word that literally means strength or might. And it's often translated dominion or to dominate. And so let me just tell you what self-control literally means. It's really simple, but it's powerful. Self-control is when you dominate self rather than letting self dominate you. That, that's what it is. Well, you say, well, okay, but what's the, is, there, is there a step to take? Is there something that can do that I can do that can ensure that will happen? Paul tells us, verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, watch this. I'm going to get a little deep here, so hang with me. See, the reason why a lot of you have battled self-control all of your life and you keep losing the battle, you think self-control is a work. 
It's something you do. It's something that you, you, you've got to perform. It's something that you've got to manufacture. So, you, you know, that, that, that's why, that, by the way, and I'm just, this is really good practical. That's why diets don't work. I mean, they don't. I'm sorry, but you, you know the statistics. I mean, they work as long as you're on them. The problem is staying on them. Diets don't work. Because a diet is something that's self-manufactured. I'm not knocking diets. I'm not saying you know, not anything wrong going on a diet. I'm just saying we all know that the vast majority of people that lose weight don't keep the weight off. Why? Because the problem is not the diet. That is a symptom of the problem. The problem is a lack of self-control. And we think, okay, I've got to somehow work this up. I've got to somehow do this on my own. Here's what Paul says. Paul says self-control is not a work. Self-control is a walk. Big difference. Not a work, not something you do. It's something the Spirit does in you. The way you control yourself is, first of all, you crucify it. You you, you absolutely die to it. Then you take what's left, you take the you that's left, and you surrender it to the Spirit of God. So here's, here's, here's the key. Self cannot be controlled from without. It can only be controlled from within. And what Paul is saying is really what we've been saying for the last nine weeks. Self-control is really spirit control. When you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, it's real easy to know whether you are or not. You ready? You'll be a person of joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the way it is. Once you have the Spirit literally living His life out through you, and once you're walking in the Spirit, The key to self-control is surrender to the Spirit's control. By the way, that really is the difference between being a follower of Christ and a non-follower of Christ. Because if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, self calls the shots. But if you're truly a committed follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit calls the shots. So, for example, when it comes to the tongue, if we're walking in the Spirit, we will exercise verbal control. Will Rogers wisely said, never miss a good chance to shut up. Great advice. Never miss a good chance to shut up. When it comes to taste, we will exercise portion control. With God's help, we can quit overeating. With respect to our temper, we will exercise emotional control. With with, with respect to our thoughts, we'll exercise mental control. With respect to temptation, we will exercise spiritual control. I I remember reading this statement somewhere several years ago. God mightily uses those who stay cool in a hot place, sweet in a sour place, and little in a big place. Let me read that again. God mightily uses those who stay cool in a hot place, sweet in a sour place, and little in a big place. Now, I think if you'll notice, I don't have an order of worship, but I think in your order of worship, is is there a place there with a little fill in the blank or something like that? Can somebody help me? I I hadn't even looked at it this morning. Okay, I want you to take out your order of worship. And here's what I want to do. I want to really practically apply this message as we bring this to a close. I I really want want to make this really work for you beginning on Monday morning. I want you to take one area of your life, just one, that you know is out of control. For example, here's just some suggestions. Maybe it's your health. Maybe that's out of control. Um, Back in October, 
I, I got up to, I, I was at 199 and a half pounds. Now, I've, I don't think I've ever weighed 200. But 200 to me was just frightening. Now, some of you might say, man, sweating your precious memories. But for me, it was frightening. I never weighed 200. And I developed a little bit of a gut. And I don't like that. And I, and, and I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I'm working out. I work out like a dog. I worked out this morning before I came to church. Work out like a dog. And, you know, I get on the Bowflex and I get on the Stairmaster and I'm doing all this kind of stuff. But then my doctor wisely told me, you can do all that stuff you want to do, but you keep eating at 58 like you did at 38, you're going to gain weight. That's just, you know, that's the way it is. That's, you know, that's the curse of, of the human race. So I just finally realized, okay, I, I've got to change something here. And, and I, I'll just tell you what I did. I said, Lord, I, I, I can't do it on my own. Because every time I would get on this diet, I'd get on, you know, I'd try this diet. Every time I'd do something, it's amazing how you begin to notice food commercials. You ever notice that? And it's amazing how Teresa would send you to the store to buy some things for salads and get fruits and that kind of thing. And you come back with four jars of minimum peanuts. You don't know how they get in the buggy. They just happen to, by osmosis, they just get there. Well, I finally said to the Lord, and I've done all, look, I've done Atkins, I've done, I've done all that stuff. And I melt the weight off and come back on. And I said, Lord, I, I just, so I, I won't tell you what I did, but I did this, did this thing. And I just finally decided, you know, this is a daily thing for me. It's just a daily thing for me. And I just have to do it one day at a time. And so, you know, I've dropped now about 19 pounds and I'm back what I weighed when I graduated from high school. And I'm not, I won't tell you, it's not easy. It's a daily battle. Uh, one of our staff members celebrated their 40th birthday yesterday, and I went to his birthday party. He had this chocolate vanilla cake. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So here's what I did. I cut a big piece of cake off. Big piece, huge piece. Ate one bite, gave the rest of it to Teresa. <laughs> she can handle it. I can't handle it. She's one of those, she can eat and eat and eat, and she looks like, you know, Marilyn Monroe. I mean, I eat and eat and eat, and I look like, you know, you know, Toby the elephant. So I, I, you know, I just can't do that. Now, maybe it's your finances. Maybe your finances are out of control. And, and maybe the problem is not that you don't make enough money. Maybe the problem is you can't manage the money that you make. And, and maybe you're, you're such a slave to your pocketbook that you literally don't think you can afford to give God that tithe. I mean, you, some of you let the devil talk you into, don't make God your financial partner. Don't make God, don't, don't let God in on your finances. You just keep doing it. Let, let, let me ask you a question. I just wonder how many of you, I'm, I'll just I'll be honest. I'm not here to beat you up about giving today. I'm really not, but I want to be honest with you. If you're not a tither, you, you don't give 10% of your income to the Lord, and most of you don't. Let's just be honest. Just ask you a real honest question. How's that working out for you? You pretty pleased with where you are financially? Well, no. Well, your way hadn't worked. Why don't you try God's way? I tithed the first dollar I ever made as a, as, as a, as a five-year-old boy. I tithed the first dollar I ever made. been tithing ever since. I want to tell you, I'm a satisfied customer. I, I, I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, a wealthy man. But I will tell you this. When I read about where everybody else is in getting ready for retirement, God's honored what I've done. So I just say to some of you out there, okay, so it hadn't really worked out the way you tried it financially. Why don't you try God's way? Why don't you step out in faith, even start today? Why don't you, I'm, and this is not even in my notes, why don't you just for the next three paychecks give God a tenth of your income and just see what God does? Just, just try it. I mean, what do you got to lose? Your way hadn't worked out. 
So how about your finances? Self-control? Here's another area. Your time or your emotions. Got ahead of myself. Your emotions. Is there any one emotion you're battling with? Depression, anger, bitterness, frustration? What could you do? What could, could, could you just take that emotion to the Lord and lay it at his feet and say, Lord, I can't control this. I, I want to die to this. I, I want you to help me with this. And then, and then your time, your, your, your calendar. Uh, you know, would you say, you're, would you, say you're, you, you really get the most out of every day? Would you say that when you work, you work hard. When you play, you play hard. Or do you play too much and not work enough? So, so here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask this question. What can I do? And just start breaking it down. In the next year, the next quarter, the next month, the next week, just today. What could I do just today? Let me give you an example. I'll make this super, super simple. You're trying to lose weight and you've had a battle with it, okay? Starting today for the next six days, don't eat anything white. That means no bread, no sweets, no starches. I know for some of you, you just say, okay, how about suicide? Is that an option? All right, I understand. <laughs> but why don't you say for the next, remember I said six days. And on the seventh day, celebrate. Okay? Eat the bread, eat the cakes, eat the, celebrate. Just for six days, that's all. Not six weeks, not six, six days. You, can, you say, well, I can do that. All right, try it. See what happens. You will be amazed how much weight you could drop. And I'm, this is not a weight you know, seminar, but you would be amazed how much weight you could drop if you just dropped those three things. Just no, just no bread, no starches, no sweat. You would be, you'd blow your way how, how much weight you could lose. Right? So my, my point is, what could you do? You picked out one area. All right, what could I do? Now, I want to get very practical and I'm going to finish up. I have found one of the greatest ways to exercise self-control in my life is to hit what I call the pause button. It may be a three-second pause. It may be a three-minute pause. It may be a three-hour pause. It may be a three-day pause. But here's what I've learned to do. Take a quick assessment and ask yourself a question. Before I eat that, before I spin that, before I do this, before I say that, what are the consequences if I go through with this? And then you decide, do I really want to suffer the consequences of this action? Because as I look back over, the, over my life, can I be honest? Some of the greatest words are the words I never said. Some of the greatest letters are the ones that I never wrote. Some of the greatest actions are the ones I didn't take. Now, I want to remind you, none of these qualities are truly possible. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. None of these qualities are absolutely, absolutely possible apart from the Son of God and the Spirit of God. See, Jesus, here, listen to this. Jesus died for you. So you can die to you. And Jesus was raised from the dead so he could live his life in you. That would be tasty. And when you give your life to the Son of God, he will give you the Spirit of God so you can be fruitful for the glory of God and live a life that will not only bless you but be a blessing to others. And I'm telling you, you can live your life in such a way that people will always be happy to see you come and always sad to see you go. So I want to close with something that a, a church member sent me. It's not original. It's an excerpt from a devotional by Max Lucado, and I want to close with this. This is a great way to close this whole series. Listen to what Lucado said. It's quiet. It's early. My coffee is hot. The sky is still black. The world is still asleep. The day is coming. In a few moments, the day will arrive. It will roar down the track with the rising of the sun. 
The stillness of the dawn will be exchanged for the noise of the day. The calm of solitude will be replaced by the pounding pace of the human race. The refuge of the early morning will be invaded by decisions to be made and deadlines to be met. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. And because of Calvary, I'm free to choose. And so I choose. I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today I will love God and what God loves. I choose joy. I will invite God to be the God of my circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical or critical. The tool to be, uh, I will refuse to be a lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. I choose peace. I will live forgiven and I will forgive so that I may live. I choose patience. I will overlook the inconveniences of the world. Instead of cursing the one who takes my place, I'll invite him to do so. Rather than complain that the wait is too long, I'll thank God for a moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fist at new assignments, I will face them with joy and courage. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor for they are alone, kind to the rich for they are afraid, and kind to the unkind because that's how God has treated me. I'll choose goodness. I will go without a dollar before I take a dishonest one. I will be overlooked before I will boast. I will confess before I will accuse. I choose goodness. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors will not regret their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their father will not come home. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it be only in praise. If I clench my fist, may it be only in prayer. And if I make a demand, may it be only of myself. I choose self-control. I'm a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy. I will be impassioned only by faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. I choose self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. And if I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek his grace. And then when this day is done, I will place my head on my pillow. And I'll rest knowing I bore the fruit of God in my life. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and with eyes closed. If you choose Jesus, you choose to live that kind of life because that's the life that Jesus Christ will live in you, through you, and for you. And you don't have a chance of being that kind of person. You don't have a chance of living a tasty life apart from the Spirit of God. No chance. And you cannot have the Spirit of God until you come to the Son of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead so that he could come into your life and you could live a life that's tasty. So I wonder how many are here today that would say, I want that kind of life. I want God's spirit in my heart. 
I want to be everything I can be for God until I die. And I also want to be what I can be for God so that I know when I do die, I will spend eternity with Him. Then just pray this prayer right now. Just say, Dear God, come into my heart and save me. 